Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good Saturday morning, my friends. Our guest is here early, and I'm running around this morning trying to get stuff done. I usually do my um, the interviews in my office, but my pet turtle's in my office, and his tank is a water filter. It's so loud. I said, let me go in another room and do the interview this morning. So that's what took me a while to get connected. So I want to thank our guest for being here before I was even on the air. Uh, before we started, I just got here about a couple of seconds ago and want to welcome you guys to this Saturday, February the 8th, airing up off the shelf. It is so clear and bright and sunny outside. They they had said earlier this week here in Philadelphia that we might get a lot of snow this weekend, but it looks like today may only be rain, if that, and maybe only one or two inches of snow tomorrow. We had a lot of snow this winter, so that is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news I want to thank our many, and I mean our thousands of loyal listeners for being here with us. We are going on 11 years, you guys. And for those that's your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, welcome, welcome, welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this Saturday, February the 8th, 2014. It is an absolute joy to have you here with us this morning. For our loyal listeners, I know everybody knows Denise Turney for the people Tuning in for the first time, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. I encourage you, don't let another day go by before you pick up a copy of my latest book, Love Pour Over Me. You're going to get entertainment, mystery, romance, friendships you will never forget. High chase scenes. I mean, it is a book, but in a in relationship between a father and a son, and a woman and a man, that you, I it will really, really move you very, very deeply. It is a thought provoking and very emotional book. You can get it anywhere online or offline. Any retailer, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, any library, any bookstore, Walmart, etc. If you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk for it. Asking for a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And I, over the years, we brought you some fabulous guests, and this is just another guest in that long-standing tradition that I am so proud of. And our special guest today is Ty Bennett. Ty is the founder of Leadership Incorporated. His company is a speaking and training company whose mission is to empower people and organizations to fulfill their dreams. And what could be better than that? And Ty is also the author of the book, The Power of Influence. During his speaking career, he has spoken to more than 100,000 people. He's featured in Utah Business as one of 2013's top 40 under 40. And his clients include... Remax, Ericsson, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, New Skin, Riddles Jewelry, Subway, and Kraft. Even as you listen to today's interview, which is what I love about online radio, you can click over to his website and visit Ty Bennett online right now as you listen to his interview. And his website is actually two of them. One is increaseinfluence.com, which is spelled the way it sounds, I-N-C-R-E-A-S-E. I N F L U E N C E. Again, that's increase influence, no space, dot com. His other website is leadershipinc.com, which is L E A D E R S H I P I N C dot com. Again, that's leadershipinc.com or increase influence.com. Or you could just Google him. His name is spelled first name T Y Ty Bennett, and, and his website will come up. So I want to welcome you to Off the Shelf, Ty. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is fun to be on. We are, we're very grateful to have you on for our many listeners who many are writers and artists and some are small business owners. So I know what you share, even about your own backstory, it, it can inspire and motivate others. And then also you hopefully will share some tips that they can use to help even advance, uh, go from where they are now, maybe take even a step forward whether it's in business or as an artist or in their personal lives, whatever it is their goal is to do. So we thank you for that. I wanted to begin by asking you, where did you grow up 
and what were your formative years like? You know, I uh, I was born in Utah. My parents both went to Utah State for college, which is in Logan, Utah, kind of a small town, and a small college town. And so I was born there, but when I was five, uh, because of a job transfer, we moved to Colorado. So I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, uh, from the time I was five until I graduated from college and moved out of the house. And a uh, great area. We lived in a nice place. And and I grew up with parents that I, I feel very, very blessed. And I, I think for a couple of reasons. One, um, my my dad did well in business. Uh, he was always uh, on on the sales side of the wholesale jewelry industry. And he was ambitious and, and he was great as a salesperson. And he uh, he taught my brother and I a lot about working hard and, and we had a lot of conversations around business. I don't know. I was always very entrepreneurial. I was one of those kids that always wanted to, to start a business or do uh, be involved in different things. I loved projects or contests or, you know, anything that I could jump into. I guess I had a lot of energy. And my mom uh, stayed home as, as, a, um, as a, a mother, and she, she was just our biggest fan. She just encouraged us, you know. She would support us in whatever we did. So whether I was jumping into any number of sports or getting involved in some kind of activity or club or, or whatever it was, she just, totally was uh, my biggest fan and just always encouraging and and uh, pushed us to go after what we wanted so i for me it was uh it was a great childhood i i think an amazing childhood uh and i think as i look back on it the things that my parents taught me that really had a huge impact from a business standpoint is they taught us how to work hard you know i think that's ah. i think that's so important you know, they. I think across the board, you know, if you really want to make a dent in this world, it takes a, it takes hard work. You know, it takes extremely hard work, and uh, I've seen that on both ends of the spectrum. But we learned how to really work, and we learned how to problem solve, and we learned how to find solutions and figure out that if it's going to be, it's up to me, and that you know nobody's going to give it to you. That you've got to go and get out of life what you want, and. And so I'm appreciative of that. I think I was, I look at that as a huge advantage that I had two parents who were very involved in my life, were great role models, were amazing examples, and taught me some very important characteristics characteristics of success. I wanted to ask you, uh, I'm going to piggyback on a comment you made, but you might have mentioned this earlier and I may have missed it. I know you said your mother was, she worked from the home, you know, taking care of the children. Did your father own his own business? I, I've seen at times when we follow in our parents' or grandparents' footsteps without realizing it. But did your parent, did your father own his own business? Just curious. You know, he did. No, he, you know, he didn't. He uh, he worked for somebody else, which is kind of interesting. Um, he he always worked for somebody else. He's always been, you know, the VP of sales or something in uh, in that that type of role within different companies. He was entrepreneurial, and, and he, you know, would invest in different things outside of his work and, and always talk to us about that. But at the same time, he also helped us to realize the idea and the importance of owning your own business because there were things about his job, his travel schedule, for example, that mm. he didn't love and he didn't have control over. And mm-hmm. so we, I remember growing up and talking to him about, you know, different different things that I could do and he would point out our friends and neighbors who did own their own business and some of the advantages that they had and and so he helped us to definitely develop an entrepreneurial mindset although he was not necessarily an entrepreneur himself. Now you said you mentioned uh and then I want to talk about the business you and your brother Scott own but you said that you know it takes hard work and in this self-help movement we hear you know people say really our beliefs are what come come true it's most of our own reality and I do i do agree with that that most of our own reality is created in our minds and what we believe to be true it'll just show up it doesn't mean it's true it's just that well, our beliefs produce <laughs> our life experiences do you do you think you know when i look at people who are successful i've never and, and in the many people we've interviewed here on off the shelf and that i've interviewed in my newsletters and magazines and et cetera as a 
freelance writer, they all do work very, very hard. And it's this, this, this assumption that uh, it just came very easily for them. I was at a, an event in New York today, and Robin Roberts spoke, and she said a lot of people think when you're successful that it just falls into your lap, but it, 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 that you don't have struggles, and that's not the case because we're all human. Do you think, though, that for some people, when you look at them, you say, wow, it was like they had all that success, and it seemed like they just snapped their finger, like when Facebook took off or some company takes off, and they didn't put all those years in. Is it? Do you think, or do you think that you do have to put those long hours in and just grind it out. <laughs> you think that's like absolutely necessary? Well, I think I think sometimes you uh, can. There are people who definitely find niches or find or timing is good. You know, I mean the mm-hmm. the things that they do, uh, all of that works in their favor. But I don't know that you except for maybe a lottery winner, you could show me anybody who didn't work hard in the process of that. Right? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like my timing has been great, and I've found some great niches for the multiple businesses that we've started and had success with, but I've worked extremely hard to build those businesses. Uh, and from yeah. an outsider looking in, sometimes when it yeah. goes fast, you mm-hmm. go, oh, they were so lucky. I've had people say that to me, and I'm like, lucky? You know, do you, I, I, like, I mean, for example, people look at that right now. I, I'm a very, very busy keynote speaker. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I spoke yesterday twice in Omaha. I'm speaking today in Albuquerque. I'm speaking Monday in Springfield, Missouri. I'm speaking Tuesday in Orlando. Wow. If you, if you tried to get on all the planes that I get on, or last night got into the hotel with me at one in the morning, or, (sighs) you know, I mean, like if you you can't it sounds glamorous when you just go oh he's on stage a bunch but to make a hundred speeches happen <laughs> there's oh, a lot yes. of work that goes wow. into that you know and so um, I think I think it's a really naive approach for us to look at but that's what we do right we justify it because yes. we're not either we're not willing to or we just haven't had the right opportunity or the right situation come along so it's really easy to sit back and say oh they got lucky. Um, I've just found most of the time, yeah, luck is involved, timing and, and the right idea and, and maybe the right connections and all those things. But hard work is the catalyst. Ah, okay, okay. I want, I want to talk about your business with, that you started with your brother, Scott. And you started when you were 21 years old. And I've, I've researched and done some uh, uh, writings about articles about people who do start businesses, very successful multimillion-dollar businesses when they're in it. Teenage years or their early twenties, and you and your brother are one of those people. Now you were twenty-one when you started the business. Curious how old your brother was, and what was the name of the business, and what was the company's mission? What was its product line? So um, my brother, he was—I was twenty-one. He was a lot older. He was all of twenty-two <laughs> when we <laughs> started. And That's uh, funny. Yeah, you know, the truth is, I mean, we were young, we were, we were probably somewhat naive, uh, but again, we were willing to work hard. And, and the other thing is maybe we were just young enough and dumb enough to realize we didn't know everything, but we were very teachable. Uh, you know, we, were, we, were, we knew that we had to constantly learn and grow, and we had to get better, and we had to develop, and we had to figure things out. So a mutual, a family friend of ours had built a business similar where he licensed a nutritional supplement line and sold it mostly through doctor's offices. So he kind of showed us the business model and acted as a mentor and, and showed us how we could do something similar. So it was kind of an unconventional business. I mean, something that, I don't know, most people probably would never think of, and I probably would have never thought of it except for uh, our friend had been very successful. He's somebody we looked up to as an entrepreneur um, because as we grew up, he had the money that my dad had, but he had more of the lifestyle. And, uh, oh. and so we always were intrigued by what he did. And so he really kind of showed us, you know, how to do it and, and walked us through it and talked to us about it. So we built a sales team, kind of like a pharmaceutical sales team, if you will, that uh, we licensed. We didn't develop the product. We licensed this product uh, and started to sell it through doctor's offices and and so Scott and I's role, uh, I mean, overall, the mission of the company was to change the health of America is kind of how we started. We thought we had okay. a, a great product and something that was very positive. It's a, 
antioxidant-based supplements. And uh, I think antioxidants are extremely important for the overall health of individuals and preventative care. And, and, uh, and more and more, the doctors have started to recognize that, and, and, uh, and they want to be on the preventative end and not just the, the fixing end of, of medicine. And so, um, so we started to reach out, and Scott and I started to build the sales force that, you know, ultimately we could uh, get a bigger reach and, and uh, get our products now. Uh, it grew way beyond what I think my initial goal or dream was, but we've grown all over the United States and into more than 30 countries around the world, and uh, it's, it's been an oh, extremely successful co- business. The company, the company still exists. Yes, it does. Yep, and, oh. and my brother's. My brother's more actively building that business uh, and running that business. And since I started speaking and writing and uh, found a passion in that, then I've taken kind of a lesser role but still have an ownership role stake in that company. Wow. I thought it was a company that you guys ran for a couple of years and then you stopped and started another company. Where did you get the skills? Now, you talked about, and I think when I do off-the-shelf shows, I like to give ask questions that our listeners can take and they can get some advice that they can use firsthand, practical steps they can take themselves. Where did you get the skills? You said that the, there was an older, another guy who had a business that was successful doing something similar and, and with, with selling things to uh, doctors, and you, he showed you how to do it. Is that where you got all those skills? I know you talked about your mother's support and your father being in sales and him telling you guys, to go into business for yourselves, it would be more advantageous. Is there anywhere else where you learn the skills to generate more than $20 million in your first business? Because everybody doesn't do that. And I know our listeners are probably wondering, where exactly what did he learn to be able to pull that off? Would you have any so, tips or advice for yeah, a new so business? I think, I think over time, I mean, all of those things, yeah, and it was it was still a constant learning curve, right? We're we're always learning and growing. Uh, another experience that Scott and I had at a young age that I think is unique and and really answers your question is uh, Scott and I both served mission two year missions for our church when we were 19 years old, from 19 to 21. And Scott went to Paraguay, I went to Portugal, so he speaks Spanish fluently and I speak Portuguese fluently. But while we were there, we did several different things for two years. Um, we did a lot of service, um, but we also did a lot of teaching. We went out and found people who were interested in learning about our belief, which I can tell you in Portugal, where the uh, the religion of uh, the actual country until 1989 was completely Catholic. So uh, they were very Catholic by tradition. So trying to find people who were open and interested in talking about other religions or even just talking about uh, Christianity in general uh, was was not an easy thing to do. But in essence, you could call it sales if you want to. You know, we were out selling our ideas and, and sharing our beliefs with people and literally stopping people on the street and talking to them and knocking on doors and, and meeting people in all sorts of different ways. And I think... That experience taught us several things. It taught us how to really be uh, be proactive in the sales process. It taught us how to teach, which I think sales is really teaching. Right? Mm. If you know your product and you understand it, you're more in a teaching and informing role and you're trying to connect with the person you're sitting in front of. It has much mm. more to do with, with teaching than it does just sales process, and we can talk more about that if you want to, but, um, but the other thing is we learned how to deal with rejection. I think rejection kills uh, most people. Uh. And, you know, when you um, are trying to sell a religion mm. in a predominantly Catholic country for two years, you get your fair share of rejection. And, uh, I mean, the kind of rejection that you don't get in business, the kind of rejection where people... You know, very emotional, chase you out of, yeah. out of their yeah, yeah out of their house, or they they really yeah. attack you for what you who you are and what you believe. So I figured out how to deal with that, and mm. at a different at a younger age than most people. And I watched that with some of our sales guys. They came in and 
you know, a few no's, and they were having a really hard time with that. And I'm going, who cares? Let's keep going. You know, I mean, it just, that's part of the process. But I think that experience, it was really a unique experience for us that, that set us up in, uh, in a unique way at a young age. Wow. A company that I've worked with in New York, you just, uh, they, they sell insurance, and that is just amazing that you said that because they always tell their their sales force, make sure you have a lot of calls lined up, a lot of visits lined up, because you're going to get those no's or rejection, as you say. And if you have like 30 calls lined up and you get one or two no's or five no's, it's not the end of the world for you because you know yeah, you've exactly. got 24 chances to get a yes. And when you when you just only, uh, my grandmother used to always say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. When you only have one or two options you've lined up for yourself, one no can really hurt. So you want to you want to go knock on as many doors as you can so you can increase yeah, the and number. Yeah, and I I think that there's definitely a numbers game aspect to it for sure, right? There's um, it changes your approach and your mindset, uh, but at the same time, I, that doesn't take away from the importance or the ability to get better. Right? I think a lot of times, sometimes people use the numbers game as an excuse, right? Oh, it's just a numbers game. I, but at the same time, that you need the focus. I've always been one who I want to focus on what I can control, right? So mm-hmm. numbers is one of those things. If I decide I'm going to talk to 30 people in a week com- as compared to three, my odds go up. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I also control my presentation. I also control my ability to tell the story. I also control my ability to ask questions. All of those things are skill sets that can be learned. And I think, you know, when you focus on what you can control, whether it's in the sales process or in business process, whatever it is that you're working on, um, that's where you have success. Mm-hmm. Can you give our listeners uh, an example using storytelling to sell a product or a service? And I definitely want to get into talking about your book. Can you give our listeners, though, an example of using storytelling to sell a product or a service? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I'll go back to the business we're talking about. Um, we, uh, we built most of our business. Uh, selling a nutritional supplement line. And then as we started to have success and we had these sales channels in place, we looked at, okay, what are other products we could add to our product line? And one of the products that we added was a an at-home spa device that, uh, it, it, in essence, it's a it's called a galvanic spa, but it's a, a spa treatment that people can go get that helps uh, to on the on the face on the skin, it helps to reduce lines and wrinkles. It, it helps to increase uh, or better texture. It lifts the skin. It's a great spa treatment. It also has a treatment on the body that helps to diminish cellulite. This company that we're working with uh, shrunk it down, made it portable, made it a handheld size. And so we were selling that for several years. Um, backstory to that is it's off the shelf right now because the FDA decided they wanted to make it a low-grade medical device, so it's going through the process of um, being uh, clarified as a low-grade medical device um, throughout the year 2014. So anyway, we were selling that product quite a bit, but that product is designed for a middle-aged woman. It's designed for a woman probably 30 or above. That's the ideal target market. So me, at the time, being a 25-year-old male, I'm not the target market for that product. Mm-hmm. But when you're telling a story, especially with your product, the characters in your story can often relate to the prospect you're sitting in front of if you don't personally relate to them. Ah. And so I, I would use the closest person in my life who fit that target market, and that was my mom. So when oh, okay. I sold that product, I would use my mom's story every time. Um, so if you and I were just sitting down, Denise, and I said, you know, I told you a little bit about the Galvanic Spa, I would then tell you in the process to validate that product, I'd tell you my mom's story. And so the story I can give you right now, um, I, would, I would just kind of tell it like this. I'd say, you know, the first person I ever sold one of these to was my mom. And I basically just called her and said, Mom, I need your credit card, because that's kind of how you sell one of these products to your mom, right? And mm-hmm. she, uh, so she ordered one. 
And she's in her mid-50s. She's used all sorts of products to take care of her skin. She's always taking care of herself. So we shipped a product over. She lives in Colorado. She opened up the box. She followed the instructions, and she did a treatment on her face. And she, looking in the mirror, said, you know what? It looks good. It feels good. She was really excited about the results. But my dad came home later that day and just out of the blue looked over and he goes, your skin looks really good. Did you go to the spa? Now, she was ecstatic, right? She had great results. <laughs> Other people were seeing it. So she called me and she goes, Ty, it works. And I go, that's great. What do you see? And she goes, well, specifically, I feel like I can see less lines and wrinkles around my eyes and around my mouth and my skin feels lifted. It, feels, it looks like, I, not like I've had a facelift, but a little bit, you know? And I said, that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's really cool to hear those results. I said, you should try it on the body. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, it also works for cellulite. And she goes, there's no way this thing works for cellulite. And I was like, well, I haven't tried it on my cellulite, but you should try it on your cellulite. And she goes, (laughs) okay, what do you mean? Does this work? And I said, they actually did a study at the University of Oklahoma where over an eight-week period, women used it on their thighs. And over that eight-week period, 100% of the women had visible results, but 35% had a one-inch or more decrease in the circumference of their thighs. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she goes, okay, I'll try it out. I'll, I'll let you know what I see. And unbeknownst to me, she started using it on one leg and not the other to see if she could see a difference, right? She figured nobody sees her thighs. <laughs> What's the big deal? And so she starts using it. And two weeks into it, now the study was eight, just two weeks into it, she's working out with my sister, who's 19 at the time, and they were stretching or something. And my sister looked over and goes, what the heck is wrong with your legs? And the phone goes, what do you mean? And she goes, that one has dimples and that one doesn't. And my sister was mortified. My mom was ecstatic, right? I mean, she's like screaming, mm-hmm. jumping up and down in the gym, but she could see a visible result. She's... She's went on to continue to use it. She's seen great results in the face, great results in the body. Okay, so that's just a simple story that's kind of fun. Uh, and, but I would, sh- I would share that story because uh, that's what makes the product real, right? It's yes. somebody's experience that you can connect with and relate with. And if you think about all of the layers of that story, I was able yes. to share a study about that story in the dialogue of the story that actually made the study interesting. Most people would pull out a chart and say, if you look at this yes. chart, this is what this study yes. did, and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So wow, but, stories are an amazing sales tool. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, you see them on commercials, too. <laughs> you see commercials yep. using a lot of, that, lot of that now. I mean, they, they, they've changed. You, you see that now. But thanks for sharing that. want us to talk about your book. What is influence to you, Ty? What is that? What is influence? So to me, the essence of sales and leadership, which is what drives companies, right? Marketing, sales, and leadership, that's really what drives business is mm-hmm. influence. Uh, I look at it and, you know, the commonality that all of us share here, if we're all in business in some different form, whether you're an author, small business owner, speaker, whatever it may be, is we're all in the people business. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's how business is is driven, right? It's driven by people. At work, right. at home, at play, we're dealing with people. And so influence then is the currency. Influence is the ability to engage, to persuade, to move people, to connect with people, for people to buy into you, for people to buy your product. Uh, and so I think influence is really the essence of, of how we win in the people business. And, and that's what led me to write the book, The Power of Influence. Can you give our off-the-shelf uh, listeners a synopsis, some of, the, some of the topics you cover in the book, The Power of Influence? Yeah, so um, I, my definition of influence is probably different than most. I, I, uh, I define influence by saying your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Mm. And the reason that's, that's different is most people think about influence and they think about themselves, right? They think about being powerful or persuasive. Ah. And I used to think this way too, but what I realized, I mean, think about it this way. If no one is following you, you're not a leader. Mm. If no one is being influenced by you, you're not an influencer. If no one is buying your product, you're not a successful salesperson. If your revenue is not growing. You're not a successful business person. And so it can't be about you. It has to be about them because you don't exist without them anyway. That's and true. and that's, the, that's the essence is leadership is not about you. It's about them. 
Same with sales, same with teaching, same with any capacity that you're talking about. I mean, as as an author, you know this. You write the book for the reader, not the writer, right? Your, Your book is written to inspire and to help and to teach and to share something. And so as I started along this philosophy and I started talking to people about it, I would get feedback of people who would say, you know what, that's great. I, I like it in concept, but, you know, the true is that kind of naive in business? How do you actually do that? Mm. And so the whole basis of the book is I share five practical and really profitable ways that you can increase your influence and increase your bottom line. And okay. it's by placing other people's interests first, you can do that in a way that uh, really grows your influence and impact. Now, what what is... So what, the thing that I was going to ask you, what determines a person's level of influence, and I guess it is just how much they put other people's uh, needs or perceived needs and wants ahead of their own. What is the platinum rule? I know you cover that in the power of influence. What is the platinum rule? Yeah, so that's one of those, one of the concepts that I share. And, you know, we've all heard of the golden rule before, right? I mean, everybody knows the golden rule, and it's been – said by major world religions and in essence they all say treat other people the way you want to be treated which I think is great in terms of morals and decency Um, but in terms of influence it really doesn't work because it makes an assumption that everybody has the same needs, wants and desires that they respond to the same thing that they're motivated by the same thing that they have the same goals and it assumes that leadership would be collective but leadership really is not collective leadership is individual you don't lead a group of people. You lead individuals that make up a group of people. And so the platinum rule is kind of a step up from the golden rule, and it's to treat other people the way they want to be treated. And that may sound like a really subtle nuance, but it's huge in practice. When you can treat people individually and, and you can reach out to them in ways that they want to be reached out to, all of a sudden you carry a different influence with those people. Mm. Why is it? Why is it? This is something else you talk about in the, your book, uh, the power of influence. Why is it important to focus on being interested more than it is to focus on being interesting? Because I've heard some teach, you know, you should be interesting, and uh, this is so many things they talk about: how you dress, the importance of how you dress, and how you present yourself, and how that's so important. And then you say it's more important though to focus on being interested. In someone else. Why, why do you say that? So I don't discount all of what you were just saying. You know, I'm. I think presentation is important. I think being able to articulate your message. I think being well versed in things. You know, better in yourself. All of that's really important. That's great, and that does make you more interesting. It does make you, uh, you know, more uh, give you more ability to connect. But I want you to think about it from this perspective. Right? Being interesting is all about you. Being interested is all about them. The misconception that most people have is that when you go into, say, a sales presentation, is they look at it and say the person talking controls the conversation, right? That's not true. It's the Mm. person who asks the questions who controls the conversation. Ah, wow. Hmm. You think about what really drives the conversation. And, I mean, even we've all done this, right? We've all had a conversation with somebody where they asked a lot of questions. They were genuinely interested and, and you shared a lot, and they got you talking, and we probably all left and went, that was a fascinating conversation. <laughs> I mean, that was great. And the truth <laughs> is all we did is talk about ourselves, right? I mean, ah, people love yeah. to do that. And mm-hmm. so my, my uh, experience has shown me that if I can get people to open up and share, and they feel comfortable with me, and I can show them I'm genuinely interested, and we make a connection. I don't think that the goal of any presentation, sales presentation, speech, whatever it is, I don't think it's perfection because that's what most people think about it. They think, you know what, I want it to be perfect. I want to hit all my points. I want to cover everything. I don't think that matters that much. I think the goal should be connection with the person you're sitting in front of because when you Mm -hmm. make a connection, the interesting thing is all those imperfections really don't matter that much. I've had very poor sales presentations where the person bought for me because we connected. You know, it, uh, it, I didn't. If you looked at it technically, if you went back and recorded it, I've given speeches where I think it feels like a home run. The audience gives me a standing ovation; it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. then I can go back and watch a video, and I screw up all over the place. I didn't do it perfect, 
You know, I mean, there's, there's so many things I could have done better, but we, because we connected, it felt perfect. And that, wow. and that, I think, is the key to it. We are to our off-the-shelf listeners who might have just be tuning in, speaking with Ty Bennett. He's the author of uh, The Power of Influence, and uh, he also owns several businesses. He and his brother, Scott, start, started their first business when Ty was only 21 years old, and we're talking about his book and some of the topics and things that he shares in his book, The Power of Influence. I wanted to ask you next, Ty, if you could tell us about outward thinking. I've never heard that term before. What is outward thinking? So, again, going back to what we were talking about before, the realization that leadership and influence is not about you, it's about other people, requires that we shift our thought process from being selfish and and thinking about ourselves inner-directed to being Mm -hmm. outer-directed and making it about others. Uh, That's a hard shift because human tendency is we're naturally selfish people. Um, And that's not a knock on us, it's just how we're wired. When something happens, our automatic immediate response is how does this affect me, right? Yeah. And it, that's how we think is what, oh, what's this going to do to me? Oh, I've got to change my plans now. Oh, this is, that's just how we respond to things. And what I'm suggesting is that if we can shift to be more outward focused in our thinking, if we can go from being self-centered to others focused, if we can be, move from being tight-fisted to generous, if we can go from being selfish to selfless, that drives action that is both uncommon and powerful. Because like mm-hmm. you said earlier, our thoughts create a reality. Our thoughts mm-hmm. drive our actions, right? And so mm-hmm. if you and I are thinking selfishly, guess what? That comes across to people. I'll give you some yeah. really simple examples of that. In the sales process, when you're sitting in front of a prospect, are you thinking more about the customer and their needs or about the commission you're going to receive? Mm. Because that comes across to people, doesn't it? Right. I mean, we all we've we've all sat in front of salespeople that we know they're just looking to make a buck. And the old saying is that nobody wants to be sold; everybody wants to buy. Right? Nobody wants mm-hmm. to be sold by somebody they don't like. That's what that really means. <laughs> when somebody <laughs> doesn't have your best interest in mind, we read that. Or in a team setting, and you know, we've all worked on teams where. Inevitably, maybe it's us or maybe it's somebody else, there's somebody who's way more about me than the collective we. Right? That's uh, inward thinking. But mm-hmm. outward thinking is more abundant in nature. It's more, uh, it's more open and it's, it's more focused on other people, and, and that ultimately drives the right kind of action. So I want to ask you this, and, and, and you know, so, so many things, and you've actually lived it out, so, you, you know, and other, so have other people to prove that this this works, um, but it's difficult if you if you're a salesperson and you get paid zero dollars a day, a week, a month, then you have bills, you have mortgage, you have rent, you have a family to feed. How do you not focus? How do you not think about I've got to make this sale, or I don't? I walk away with nothing. How do you How do you not do that? Well. It's true, right? I mean, when you're – and I've had – I've worked in commission-based situations, right? And the, the hard part is trying to find a balance so you don't come across as desperate. There's nothing influential or attractive about desperation, mm. right? I mean, think about it. We, the sales process is a pull strategy. It's not a push strategy. You want people to be attracted to you, to want to do business with you, to feel comfortable with you, to come towards you, to feel like you add value to their life. That's all pull. That's all voluntary. Um, Push strategies is where we're forcing it, where we're trying too hard, where we're coming across as desperate, where we want the sale to go through and we're blinded by the commission we're going to receive, but we don't really recognize what's going on in our customer's life or even if the product matches for them, right? I, I can't stand people who go, you know, I could sell ice to an Eskimo. Well, Eskimos don't need ice, right? So why would you sell ice <laughs> to an Eskimo? Um, you know, I mean, that, that's not what the role of a salesperson is. That's what gives sales a bad name. Sales is an amazing process. But sales is a great mm-hmm. process if you care about the individual and you're trying to connect them with something that can better their life. Mm-hmm. And so while that is the truth and you need to hustle, right, you need to be out there and be aggressive yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and you need to make those calls, 
you still tr need to try and keep in check the fact that you're trying to make this about them. You're trying to give them what they need and add value in their life. That's going to make you, you it's going to make your closing ratio way higher than if you're coming across as desperate or in need. Um, and and I, I definitely empathize with people who are in that situation because I've been in that situation. I've seen people in that situation. I've just also seen that situ situation kill people's results because mm. of the way that they come across to people. Ah, I wanted to ask you now, The Power of Influence, We're, we've been talking a lot about sales. Is that a book that can somebody reads it and it can it help them in their relationships? Can it help them with parenting? Uh, because influence is used in just about anything in life, can it also help outside yeah. of the business realm, uh, the things that you share in the book, The Power of Influence? Yeah, um, I, I really believe it can. It was interesting. I had a, a woman uh, recently just write a, a a review on Amazon about it, and she talked about that. She said, you know, I'm not in business, but this book is really about how to build relationships and how to win with people. And I find as a, a mom and a mother and being involved in my community with neighbors that it's been very helpful, So, um, which was a great review. I thought that was, that was fun to hear. But again, the premise for me is that we're in the people business. And mm -hmm. so it's how do you win with people? That could be at work. It could be at home. It could be at play and whatever you're doing. Uh, Peter Vidmar his endorsement of my book, he was an Olympic gold medalist, um, his endorsement of my book was that this was how to win friends and influence people for our day, which I thought mm -hmm. was kind of, he encapsulated well, like what I was trying to do with this mm -hmm. book is is take those principles of how do you connect with and win with people and put them in tangible forms, and, and hopefully I've done that. Mm -hmm. what, what, have, what are some other things you've been hearing from readers about your book, The Power of Influence? What are some other things readers um, have been saying? Well, uh, one thing that I get as feedback a lot is it's a quick read. Um, it's you know it's a hundred and fifty page book that reads very very quickly. Uh, I did that on purpose. I I wanted to be able to share some good ideas and uh, share some things, but also be able to get through it. I I read a lot and I like quick reads, and so I designed it that way. Uh, it's very story based. Um, so uh, you're, that helps in, in how it comes across, how you read it. But I also tried to give real examples of how the principles apply and, mm -hmm. uh, and how, you know, so there's some, there's some funny and some great stories in there and, and some very memorable stories and some stories that show uh, how those principles have applied in my life and other people's lives in business in in personal relationships kind of across the board. Uh, and then I, I think there's some just, it's built around some five very solid, tangible takeaways that are applicable ideas. I think uh, I want people to read that and feel like they have some action steps that they can start to work on, um, not just feel good about the concept, but really know what to do with it. You, you've made a. There's one thing that you said that I wanted to ask you a question about, and I think this is something particularly as a woman and, and what I've noticed in a lot of women, women tend to do what this outward thinking, putting other people, not all women, yeah. but certainly putting other people. It, it, it definitely hasn't translated, I don't think, in the business world as, <laughs> as well for women as it has for if, if men also practice that. But is there, is there a time when you can do too much outward thinking? You can put another person's interest ahead of your own where you're actually now starting to get injured because you're not even thinking yes. about yourself. It's just can you overdo that? And what are some, if, okay. if so, what are some ways you can notice that you're overdoing it and stop doing that? So you make, it's a really good question. You make a good point. Um, women probably are more naturally uh, selfless people than men. Uh, you know, just, I mean, that's obviously a generalization, but I think just as a blanket statement, women uh, tend to think about others more than men do. Um, so they do this better. But at the same time, it, the idea of this is not that you become somebody's doormat or that you never hold your ground or that you never have an opinion or that you never, uh, you know, fight for what's yours. That's not at all what the idea is. Um, so definitely don't misconstrue that. 
because that's the negative side of it is, okay, well, then that just means that I give in to everything. Not at all. That's not what it means. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if you approach things from a standpoint of really trying to, I mean, we talked about focusing on being interested, not interesting. What does that mean? It means that you're trying to understand somebody. It means that you're trying to see it from their point of view. It means that you're trying to get your head around what it is so that you can create a win-win for everybody. That's what drives relationships is win-win situations. When it's one-sided, it's only going to last for so long, whether that's a personal relationship or a business relationship. Mm. It doesn't matter because we'll only give in for so long until we explode, right? I mean, it, it just doesn't work that way. And so when you focus on being interested, the whole premise behind that is figure out where the other person's coming from because if I understand you better, if I know everything about you, if I know the details of your life and what drives you and what motivates you and what your goals are, I have so much more ability to influence and impact your life than if I don't. Right, yes. That's, that's what drives influence, right? The platinum rule. I mean, I'll give you the most simple version of the platinum rule. Treat other people the way they want to be treated. In my office, Mm. when people reach out to us, we ask a very simple question. What's the best way to correspond with you, text, phone, or email? Right. Like that's the most simple question. But Mm -hmm. we get people who go, you know what, thank you so much for asking. Text is the best for me. You know what, email is my very best thing. And it just then we can reach out to them and treat them the way they want to be treated. That's just a very simple in, little tiny version of that principle. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it has nothing to do with we're not bending over backwards to send somebody a text as opposed to calling them. It's just a better way to go about doing it. Right, right. right? It, uh, it just makes the whole thing simpler and easier for everybody involved because we're reaching out to people in the way that they want to be reached out to. And so uh, definitely – don't misconstrue these ideas as, okay, you have to be a pushover. That's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. It just means right. that if you care more and you understand more, you're going to be more influential. Okay, okay. Now, what top three things, uh, as we come down to the last few minutes of the day show, what, what top three things did you learn about people while selling and traveling? And you do a lot of speaking, 100 speeches a year. Oh, my goodness. I, and, I, and I know because years ago I was on the road a lot, and that is a bit of a grind but when you love what you do the 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 passion you feel is a big part of the payoff but it's still it is still can be grinding but what top three things did you learn about people while you were selling and traveling that that things that keep people from reaching their goals so we've had people on off the shelf who travel the globe the globe and they've just seen certain things they say that keep popping up and and wherever they are you just keep seeing the same popping up over and over and over. Are there any top three things that you found in people around the world that keep them from reaching their goals? That's a really interesting question. Um, so as you asked that, a couple of things came to mind. One, uh, I think the biggest obstacle that I see most people have when they're struggling to succeed, the biggest obstacle they have to overcome is themselves. Oh, uh, they, uh, I watch people all the time, and whether it's their beliefs, their doubts, right? They're just that they really can't see themselves as successful, or they sabotage themselves with just bad habits or bad behavior, whatever it is. I think a lot of times we are our biggest stumbling blocks, um, mm. and and we complicate things. We we try and make it hard whether that's because we're scared or because it's an easy justification or whatever it may be, that I think a lot of times we get in our own way. Uh, mm. and that, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is I have found that regardless what you do, whether you're in sales, whether you're in business, whether you're uh, – it, it doesn't matter – that the ability to communicate your message – your communication skills will make you or break you. Wow. So working on that, and and I say that as very straightforward, your skills, it is a skill. No one is born a great communicator. It's something Mm -hmm. you work on. No one is born a great storyteller. It's something you work on. No one is born with the ability to ask perfect questions. It's something you work on, right? Those are all skills that can be developed. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's one thing to really focus on. And then the other one is this idea that we started with, the ability to just work hard, 
to put your head uh, down, to really focus, to be persistent, to not give up, I think that is an underrated skill and a lost art in many instances. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and you know, and then when I think about like a lot of the this, uh, this self-help movement, it almost is like you can just think something into being and it'll come about and, and you don't have to take any physical action. And I, I say, man, <laughs> force me with you on that one because the people I know who've achieved their goals, they really, really, really worked very hard at it. That's it. I definitely have to ask you, uh, what three things have you noticed about people? whether it's business, social, community, et cetera, that seems to come naturally to them that makes it easier for them to reach their goals? Um, people who, well, so we could almost take the reverse of some of those things, right? Um, mm-hmm. The uh, people who really believe that they can be successful, who uh, have that that innate belief and and it drives their action so they're constantly working towards it but they don't get over we all have doubt we all have times where we we struggle and don't know if we're going to be able to do it but we don't if we don't dwell on that and they focus on the solution rather than the problem and they really focus on the things that they can control I think I think that belief really drives people um, who I see are are successful they they just have this something inside of them that they know they're going to go after it. Um, The ability to connect with people. uh, A lot of people think of that as just an innate skill, Uh, whether that's in communication or just, just you you know, you seem to have the ability to make friends and connect and and get along easily. That can be a learned skill. Some people it's more innate than others. Some people it comes more naturally than others, but it definitely can be learned. And I think business is about relationships. I really do. Uh, I think that if we go ahead, no, go ahead. We, uh, I, I was only just a... going to say, as, with with that point, is you know, if, if business is about relationships, if we're in the people business, then the ability to connect with people and, and build those relationships is vital. Do you? I, I definitely have to ask you this with the last few minutes, last in the day show. Do you offer yourself through any of your business services? At, any 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 trainings for any of our listeners who may be saying, you know what, I'm shy or I'm, I'm afraid to approach uh, people I don't know already, anything with communication. It could be somebody who's a business leader. I, I do know a leader we had at a company I used to work at. He had to receive training because of the way he was raised by his father. He was very hard and stern, and people were very turned off by that. He was capable at doing what he did as a business person, but his staff had a hard time dealing with him, and then they, they, you know, they there were some people took him to the side and worked with him, and t- he talked spoke about his own backstory, and he told them why he was the way he was. It was his fa- his father. That's what what he had learned to be, and they helped him become, you know, to communicate with people more effectively. Do you offer any of those services, or do you have any tips for our listeners who might say, you know what, I really struggle with that. I'm good at what I do, but people are very turned off by me when I'm communicating with them uh, to to learn to improve in that. Do you have any tips to offer, or do you offer any training yourself through your businesses on that? Um, I I don't do at this time a whole lot of personal coaching. I do a little bit here and there. Um, And and when I, I do, I do some things around presentation skills and, and communication skills. I wrote another book called The Power of Storytelling that really is very focused on your communication ability. Um, so that you can check that book out as well, and you can find it on my, on my website, leadershipping.com. Um, there's, you know, just as you say that, there's a great book. A lot of us have um, some kind of mental stumbling blocks around money. You know, if we're raised, uh, the 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 perception of money that we have um, at going into the way that we're raised and, and how it's talked about and that kind of thing. I, I love Harv Ecker's book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. I think that's mm. a great book for people who, who struggle with some of that to, um, to read, so definitely one that I would recommend. Uh, there's a lot of other one, great ones out there, but I, I absolutely see your point in the fact that a lot of times it is it's that those those beliefs that we built up over time and 
and some of our natural habits and our way of being that sometimes are, are impeding us from getting where we want to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How were you able to land the, the, the speaking deals, the, et cetera, with these household names, clients, Coca-Cola, Subway, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I mean, you just hit the ground running and you never stopped in things. Was it, did you have like one contact and then that person knew somebody? And I know that's how a lot of it works in the business world, but you, one person introduces you to another, to another. How were you able to land those deals? Um, that's been a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, some of my own networking. I I did have a a contact, a personal contact at Subway that brought me in for the first time, and I've now spoken to Subway like 25 times. Wow! Uh, in the last, oh my gosh. last two years, and uh, but at the same time, in the speaking world, and this is a good takeaway in business: if you want to be consistently successful, you need to be really good. And mm. and that, I, I'm not saying that to pat my own back, but you can. I ran the numbers, and last year, 62% of my speeches came from people who saw me speak somewhere else. Wow! Um, and so Impressive. that's what you want, right? That ultimately, if you're good at something, if you add a lot of value, people are going to want more of it. Um, and so there's lots of ways that we, you know, I mean that's a whole another conversation. There's lots of ways that we market my speaking and reach out to companies and work with speakers bureaus and do social media and put out articles and content and work with other speakers referrals and all sorts of things. But ultimately I think it comes down to the ability to add value and share something that people want more of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of social media, can you tell us what social media uh, sites you're at and how can off-the-shelf listeners who want to follow you or learn more about you or maybe even attend some of your your speaking, if you do some that are not just, you know, company-based, or I don't know if you do do those where the public can come out um, and listen to you every, speak. Every once in a while. I do mostly corporate stuff, but um, every once in a while you can. So if you, that's why if you go to my website, leadershipinc.com, um, you can actually sign up right there on the homepage and get some free videos on storytelling and communication skills. Uh, it would add you to my email list. I send out some newsletters here and there. There's links to connect with me uh, on my fan page at Facebook or on Twitter. Twitter is just at TyBennett.com or at TyBennett, um, and that's T-Y-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. You can find me on LinkedIn under the same name. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can find me kind of ever, everywhere, and if you search Ty Bennett, you'll be able to pull up most of that. But I'd love to connect, love to hear from you, and, and if ever there's something I offer in the future that could be of help, that's great. And can you tell our listeners where they can get copies of your books, both both of your books? Yeah, yeah. You can find both of them um, at my website. If you want to go there, leadershipinc.com, you can find them on Amazon. Um, you know, if you just search either the power of influence, the power of storytelling, they'll pop up and you'll be able to find those. Um, so, yeah, both of them are pretty quick, easy reads, but I, I think really strike at the heart of your ability to connect with influence and persuade people. We want to thank Ty Bennett for being here with us on Off the Shelf uh, this morning. And his, the interview will be in the archives for those who might have tuned in a little late on a Saturday morning. You can go back and listen to the entire interview. It should be stre- finished streaming in maybe a half an hour, and we'll, it'll be up here at Off the Shelf. And so you can go back and listen to it and share it with people in your life who you know are interested in growing their business or improving even their personal relationships, the power of influence and and the power of storytelling. Two books by Ty Bennett, and he has done amazing, amazing things. He speaks at major corporations, and he was featured in Utah Business, again, as one of 2013's top 40. Under 40, he's worked with Remax, Erickson, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Subway, Coca-Cola, New Skin, Riddles, Jewelry, Craft, et cetera, et cetera. He's online at increaseinfluence.com, spelled exactly the way it sounds, increaseinfluence.com, and at leadershipinc.com. And he said you can sign up for, um, like, I don't know, newsletters uh, to keep up with what he's doing, his different speaking engagement and appearances, and I guess any books that are coming out and any other products that he has. He's, he's an incredibly uh, successful up-and-coming um, business leader, and we wish him well. And thank him for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule to be with us here on Off 
the shelf this morning. To each of our listeners, want to thank you for tuning in. And as I always tell you, tell your family, your friends, your colleagues, everybody you know to tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time or New York City time, where we will continue to bring you fabulous guests who will share things that empower and enrich your life and help you to give you practical tools you can use, things that have worked and have worked time and again that you can use in your life to continue to advance and live the life and experience the joy and the, hap- the good feelings you want to experience in your life to get those tools here and the motivation and the inspiration to just keep going forward. And as I always tell you, you are incredibly amazing. You are awesome. You are fabulous. Go out and create a marvelous, marvelous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 o'clock. Thank you to Ty Bennett. Go over and support him. The power of influence, the power of influence, the power of influence. Ty Bennett, increaseinfluence.com and leadershipinc.com. See you next Saturday. Ty, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thanks so much.